Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the State Violence Research Network podcast. My name is George Francis Bickers, the founder and co-convener of the State Violence Research Network. And this podcast is part of the network's ongoing work to highlight state violence and those working against it and trying to understand it. Today, for this second episode, I'm joined by Seher Dareen. Hi, Seher. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Brilliant. Thank you. So, Seher, um, the SVRM podcast, the whole point of this is for us to talk to people who are doing research that intersects with state violence or activism that that intersects with state violence. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if you could just take some time to introduce yourself, tell us who you are and uh, and what you work on. Great. Um, So I am, uh, I've just finished my master's from City University of London and I was doing my master's in media communication. And uh, for my for my dissertation project that I basically had to undertake in my master's degree, I focused on looking at how newspapers um, in India uh, report the Kashmir conflict that is currently still going on. Um, so I basically looked at um, various ways of reporting and how how different the reporting can be in different English dailies uh, for a day. And then I just based my, you know, my hypothesis off of that. Excellent. Sounds brilliant. So I've got, obviously, I've got, you sent me some notes through about your research and stuff. So I've got a couple of questions to sure. to, to, yes. to kind of go off on that. Obviously, you're looking at the the, the conflict in Kashmir, which has mm-hmm. got a, a number of different facets to it. And obviously, you're yeah. looking at the kind of the media portrayal. And yep. I'm coming at this from obviously a, a like a significant outsider's um, mm-hmm. position like the narratives that we get through the British press are, yeah yeah are, you know are it's very varied yeah yeah and they you know quite often are quite one-sided and they one of the yeah. I mean one of the questions we'll come on to is like where we're getting these narratives from right. but I wonder if you could maybe talk just for for a little bit about um I suppose first of all what day it was that your your study kind of examined in these in these newspapers mm-hmm. and give us a kind of your understanding of the broader sense of what's what's kind of going on on the ground and in the media landscape? Sure enough. Um, so the thing is, um, of the most recent thing that has happened, um, as I think like this, this was reported everywhere, so I think people are aware of it, is yeah. how um, it was, uh, it's the statehood of Kashmir, Jammu and Kashmir was scrapped and it was basically made into a union territory, like a part of it was made mm-hmm. into a union territory, whereas the rest of it was kind of... Uh, Put into a calm shutdown, and they were like, they were gonna, they're gonna redo the entire constitution, and everything, such that you know the previous rules under which Kashmir had been seceded to India um, fall null and void. So that was what the main um, conflict was. So, but because a lot of people weren't happy with this, because Kashmir has just seen constant conflicts happening in it, whether it's you know, yeah. whether it's like state police versus the militancy, or whether it's like the Indian National Army versus the police or you know it's just all all three factors basically like state national and um the people themselves have always been at odds with each other and there's never really been any constant moment of peace because there's always either you know um something or the other happens where like they capture a militant or you know there's a fake encounter or and people you know want to spread word about that but people are like no you know what the indian army is doing what's right there's a lot of conflicting that there's a lot of oh but this is what's supposed to be done but this is not what's supposed to be done and that's basically the land on which Kashmir has been on, um, like information wise, in the sense that no one really knows specifically what the people want and what the people are fighting for, along with what is actually going on. Because first yeah. of all, reports on Kashmir don't come out as often as they're supposed, like as often as they probably should, considering that it's one of the most, you know, contested regions in the world. And yeah. secondly, they're also very, I would like to say that they, they aren't really reports that come from Kashmir, 
in the sense that there are people writing about Kashmir through things that they've heard from other people and government sources, but not having their own journalists in the state themselves. That's uh-huh. not so a very this, I mean, common fact. Well, this this was one of the questions I was gonna I was gonna come on to. So maybe maybe this yeah. is a good time to do it. Um, mm-hmm. So the idea that there's the potential again from an outsider's perspective there's there's the kind of there's a, a like a tendency i suppose from my perspective which is very state critical mm-hmm. is to look at the situation in jammu and kashmir as a kind of colonial um imposition right that the indian state is, is, and so the kind of consequences of having no news media or very little news media inside jammu and kashmir that is reporting mm-hmm. from its own perspective rather than a kind mm-hmm. of external colonial interpretation of the situation on the ground means that ultimately like you said getting news out that kind of self-determines is is particularly difficult right yeah that that is very true um kashmir does uh, since it was one of the princely states uh, back in you know pre-independence and um the british government then did say that you know they were just like they told the princely states like well you can decide either to join india or pakistan and you know you can do your own thing after that, mm-hmm. uh, but Kashmir was a, a little bit disputed that way because the king, the the king at the time, Hari Singh, um, he d- he wasn't really sure about you know what he want, really wanted to do. But then there was some infighting, and you know there was rebel attacks, and you know people protesting and things like that. So he took India's help, and that way succeeded to India, but under the condition that you know Kashmir would get help from India to stop the re- the rebel attacks that were occurring at the time. So basically, like on that from that same thing after Kashmir was sort of included into being uh, governed by India, it still did have kind of a different constitution in the sense that people who are, only people who are Kashmiris are allowed to own land and, you know, get first preference for jobs there, whereas mm-hmm. others kind of come second. So in the sense that Kashmir is kind of given, like, the upper hand, in, in their Kashmir is given the upper hand in their own state, um, yeah. and that's not really the case in most other states. So it does definitely have the sort of um, colonial hangover sort of uh, thing going on with it because it's not something that people have gone back to and said maybe you know if we're gonna if you're gonna be looking at this seriously we should probably do something about it and you know streamline this entire process but that's never really happened because it's just always been like a tug of war between India and Pakistan of like oh no you know this happened then but like you know we want it back because it's majority Muslim like Pakistan you know thinks probably thinks that way and mm-hmm. but then there's fighting and then there's India's like no but Kashmir is ours because they came here and that's just been like a tug of war continuously with like, you know, zero, like close to zero voice coming from the Kashmiri people. And like you said, there isn't, you know, a very loud presence of Kashmiri national media themselves. But mm-hmm. there have been for a while, you know, online news media sources that have, you know, come up to sort of let the Kashmiri people's voice be heard more. But yeah. the thing with that is, since it's, you know, based online and since they're based out of Kashmir, if you're going to have a communication shutdown, they themselves can't report. So it's like a two-fold prong. First of all, you know, they can't really spread their word as much because, you know, they don't have, they don't have as much resource and, you know, it's, it's just an online format. And most of it is circulated within Kashmir. And, you know, like you don't get Kashmiri newspapers all the way down in South India where I am. That's just not a thing. And uh, secondly, you know, when you have when you block off communications and things like that, you don't really have access to what the people are actually saying and what the people are actually thinking. Because even during this uh, recent shutdown, like just very recently, like you, they've had 2G networks back on, which is what, how like people have been able to do their do their thing now. But that's only yeah. after around like five months, nearly of yeah, you know, five months, yeah. Complete block. And it's been it's there was just there was nothing. There was all the news the the news sites were completely blank. There was no reporting going on. 
no one had heard from people in a while. WhatsApp was removing uh, people from the groups and things like that because the WhatsApp accounts had been deactivated for had been inactive un- for ages. So yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. So you don't really get a lot a lot to hear. And through that, what international media also gets is um, sometimes uh, very vague. Although uh, off late during the when this article three seventy was scrapped recently. Uh, yeah. The BBC and Al Jazeera did manage to do a fairly good job of um, reporting and you know seeing what was actually going on at base because I think they had reporters down in the state. I mean, this is this is really really interesting, especially in light of the notes that you sent me uh, prior mm-hmm. to the podcast, which I'm very grateful for. Um, yes. and one of the things you were talking about was uh, in your in your notes, and I think obviously must have uh, might have come up in your dissertation was was mm-hmm. what you were saying about the lack of an ability for a state being able to establish its own narrative, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously, we, we've touched on this now with the idea of the communications blackout and the lack of a kind of national media infrastructure. Um, yeah. And so obviously, your focus on newspapers outside of Kashmir is really important. But I'm wondering, mm-hmm. and you know, you've just spoken about people moving to kind of online news reporting and mm-hmm, kind of, mm-hmm. I suppose we could use the term underground news reporting. Yeah, almost. sort of. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I'm wondering if outside of just newspapers and is, mm-hmm. is there, and and obviously this online presence, what other methods kind of cash the Kashmiri people are taking to establish their own narrative? Um, like, does the Kashmiri diaspora um, mm-hmm. kind of have a role in this in this struggle? And how much your research, if at all, kind of touched on that? Well, sadly, it didn't really touch as much on the diaspora because this was like a master dissertation, and I really had to like yeah, control yeah, what I was studying. Uh, but I did, however, like in the... So I've been interested in Kashmir for a very, very, very long time because like I am half Kashmiri. So like this indirectly mm-hmm. does affect me a lot. And yeah. in the course of learning about Kashmir and knowing about Kashmir, I I was in touch with a few people who have, you know, made documentaries about uh, various conflicts that have happened in Kashmir, like at various points of time. And I have also uh, spoken to people who have um, written their you know dissertations and their thesis and in their phds about it so i think one of the really strong things that comes out about kashmir uh like how they can establish the narrative is um honestly you'd be surprised but it's r- through music uh one of mm-hmm. the really a really popular um musician from kashmir his name is mc cash he's a rapper yeah. and he raps in hindi and kashmiri and all of it is very um anti-establishment and uh, anti-occupation based so it's mm-hmm. always about, you know, how, you know, people are mad that, you know, the Indian army is committing atrocities and, you know, they're not being held accountable for it and how, you know, people aren't getting what they want. They're not being heard and how people are, um, you know, not being taken seriously. So that's a really good medium, I think, uh, that has been brought about because it has it has reached. I think the way the way I measure it most of the time is what I hear people saying around me about Kashmir. Like that's usually yeah. a good check to see how far news of Kashmir reaches. And MC Kash has been heard down here, like down south. People have mm-hmm. heard of him and they know what he's doing, which I think is amazing because you just have to upload on YouTube and, you know, and since it's music, it's rap, people are maybe possibly more, you know, open to listening to it because it's not a book that you have to read and it's not, you know, um, a speech that you have to listen to and it's not a place you have to actually visit to know what's going on. Yeah. Um, so music is one way. And there have also been a lot of, a very strong student movement who, you know, a small niche student movement that, you know, start their own um, sort of arts collective in a way. And, you know, they publish their own newspaper, they publish their own news. I think they're mostly just uh, localized in Kashmir itself, but they do yeah. do the job of uh, spreading news all around in Kashmir. 
you know, a sort of anti-establishment voice themselves. I think it was this was documented in a documentary called In the Shade of the Fallen Chinar. It's on YouTube. It's just like 20 minutes long, but it, it, it really encapsulates really well what the youth in Kashmir um, are doing. And along with that, you have a lot of uh, foreign filmmakers and things um, who, like, I think I've, I did know of one diasporic um, filmmaker, but I'm not very sure if that was it. But anyway, um, yeah, a lot of, I would say, alternative forms of uh, establishing your narrative are, are yeah. present, as opposed to, like, you know, di- just directly being able to say that, you know, this is what we want to do because, you know, that just never has worked. So a lot of things have been taken into other hands. No, that's excellent. The stuff. Thank you for thank you for sharing no that. So um, I wonder if I could ask you then a bit more about what you, about your research directly. So yeah, um, sure. you, obviously you said you looked at a number of um, English language Indian dailies on yeah. a particular day. So what, yeah. what was what were you finding? What was the what were the kinds of narratives that you were finding? And how I suppose that my major question as well is how how those narratives were kind of were they critiquing the state's violence were they supporting it mm-hmm. how how were these how were these kind of how was it was this one day of media coverage kind of intersecting with with these questions of state violence sure thing so okay so i, I would need to give um, a little bit of a background to my research of course, um, yeah, the reason, so the thing is the reason i picked this is because firstly um i can find like n- online versions of the newspapers um in london because that's where i was doing my research and mm-hmm. um whereas Indian television, uh, which is like televised news, uh, is on a completely different level because that was a lot more upfront with the way they perceived, you know, the conflict in Kashmir. But I couldn't, I didn't really have a proper way of proving these things. But that is essentially where I got my idea from. It was like, you know, if this is happening on national media, is this happening in national newspapers as well? Because national media, in a way, is less edited if, you know, since it's live. It's a, yeah. it's a lot less edited uh, than newspapers are. So a lot more, I think, goes into newspapers and the way they have to uh, write and edit and stylize and design the paper. And yeah, sure, people, like, obviously, news newspapers and things, they will have their, you know, their style sheets and whatever, and, you know, they will have their editorial decisions to make. But for a thing like the Kashmir crisis, because this is massive, this is something that, you know, people have been fighting for for ages, and suddenly the, you know, overnight everything is shut down, the leaders, the political leaders of Kashmir are put into like house arrest and the article is just scrapped. So it, it was mm-hmm. a massive deal. And it's not like something that you can hide away in a column, which like I'm glad that no newspaper really did. But that's basically uh, what the case was. So the date that I decided to study was um, the 8th of August uh, 2019. And initially I was actually going to do like an entire week. But then wh- while I was going through the newspapers, I was like, oh my God, this is just way too much to handle because... Too much information. It yeah. is way too much information and just too many angles and just too much to study because the way that I was doing it was uh, I was using a research method called critical discourse analysis which basically just mm-hmm. looks at how discourse is happening in the sense that it's, it's a bit of a sociolinguistic field in a way, because it's like, you know, yeah. what words you use, when you use and how you use them and what context and what it implies. So I did just pick like, I, I ended up just picking the 8th of August because um, it was sort of like in between the time period that I wanted to study. So that was uh, basically um, how I picked the date. So then moving on, I picked three English dailies based on uh, the circulation numbers. So they were called the Times of India, yeah, no the Times worries. of India, the Indian Express, and the Hindu. So those were the three papers that I studied, and I studied, uh, like you know, all the in every page wherever Kashmir was mentioned, and you know, the the thing was discussed. That's what I studied. So the thing is, in my research, though, I did make sure to talk about w- w- what leaning the newspaper has, 
because I didn't want to get like an overall a, a proper um, data set in a way. Like you know, I want I didn't want to have just all left wings of the all right wing papers yeah, in course. my thing. So there was one who was pretty centrist in the sense that you know they kind of just follow um, whoever is in power, and that's how they report. And the other one was um, pretty left wing, and the other one is slightly um, right wingy, but not not as much as you know a lot mm-hmm. of other uh, newspapers can be. So what I really found was one of the centrist papers um, was that there were, first of all, all the, the report for the Kashmir issue was on the front page, like just as in that it had been like, it was, this was a third day of reporting, but it still hadn't yeah. gone off the front page, which I think is really important to, to point out. Mm-hmm. Um, although uh, one of the papers, which is because it's so ad-based in the sense that it's just full of ads, the first two pages did have just, you know, it was just filled with ads and then you had the 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 news on Kashmir. But that would be pretty normal for any day, right? Not really, though, because sometimes they don't have the pages because they just don't have the ads put up in that way. But right, in one I of these see. days, yeah. they did have it, which is, I, I found it slightly suspicious, but, you know, I'm not holding it against it because, you know, it's, it's a very ad-funded, ad-based newspaper. So, yeah. you know, I'll yeah. just give it to them, basically. But then you did have, you know, the centrist newspaper in a way saying that, Okay, so this has happened, and very factually reporting it instead of you know actually saying that oh there's a comms shutdown going on right now, and you know people have been put on lockdown. All of the the lockdown thing and the communication page thing came all the way in, I think like page eight or nine. Basically. So kind of much much further back, people are going yeah, to have yeah, to yeah 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 much get further back because the first the the front page you had like a quarter of the page which is dedicated to, you know, you have one big picture of, you know, uh, what has happened, one big article, and under that you have some smaller articles, and that's about it on the front page of Kashmir, and everything else is like, you know, other news, like the, the Hong Kong protests and, you know, some mm-hmm. other, um, you know, violent crimes and stuff that was on the front page. And opposed to that, um, a more left-wing newspaper, they actually had more reportage um, on the first page as well as the second page about the issue in the sense that the second page had more information about the protests that were happening about what had happened um, in Kashmir in the sense that people in India who were protesting who were against this, the scrapping of the article they were yeah. saying that you know they actually had reports based on that whereas the Times of India newspaper didn't have any reports of um, the protest at all on the very same day. Um, so there's a sense there that maybe one of the you know the the, the news some of the newspapers are trying to kind of minimize what's happening right and 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 kind of locate it in just in Kashmir right because one yeah. of the, one of the reports that we were getting over here mm-hmm. and especially you know we were organizing it was the last cup uh, we were all in the middle of organizing the <clears throat> the SVRN conference at the time right, we right. got a number of we've got a number of people who are who, a number of Kashmiri people who are at universities in India. Um, who were who were submitting and thinking about submitting and mm-hmm. and suddenly we had this point where we lost contact with a lot of people yeah, yeah. and then and then these massive protests obviously happening in, yeah. you know, from what I could pick up all across the country right mm-hmm, in, 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 yeah and the sense that one of the newspapers is is kind of reporting on that and showing I suppose a sense of or trying to capture the picture of solidarity and mm-hmm. resistance, whereas another newspaper is sitting there saying, "Oh, well, you know, this has just happened in Kashmir. It doesn't don't worry. Yeah, about yeah. It. Got to think about it. Right? Exactly, exactly. It's, it's serving that kind of helping to serve that. I mean, my perception would be that it's helping to serve that kind of colonial narrative of don't worry, it's away from here. We can yeah. contain it. Yeah. And uh, and and you know everything else that's happening is 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 just kind of just simply kind of ignorable right 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's great that you brought it up because that was going to be my next point. Uh, they had also uh, interviewed, uh, I mean, on like page three or something of the news uh, in just like the most centrist one, there was news mm-hmm. about how um, US, the US had responded um, about, you know, the whole scrapping of the article. And at the time, yeah. uh, President Trump had said, you know, he'd, he'd want, he'd uh, like to help out in negotiating terms and conditions between Pakistan and India. Uh, but, you know, there was obviously like no further discussion made on that. And then, you know, after that, this yeah. happened. Uh, but what the paper I do remember, uh, what the paper did specifically imply, imply was that the government sources had stated that, you know, there's no need for international houses or international countries to get involved because this is just simply an Indian matter, which I think is the most absurd statement you can make, considering that it is so contested. The UN has been involved at multiple times. Many people have offered like, you know, a- along with Trump recently have offered to, you know, sit in and, you know, talk and, um you know, say that, you know, maybe you need to listen to the Kashmiri people or maybe you need to do this or maybe you need to do that. So just mm-hmm. saying that, you know, this matter, this landmass, which is such a contested region, especially between India and Pakistan, um, you can't you can't just call it a, a national issue and just be done with it and just, you know, brush it off your shoulder and say that, oh, no, it's fine. It's just an Indian thing. You don't have to worry about it and no one else, you know, really mm-hmm. has a say in it, which is just, I think, was the most absurd statement I had read to that date. It was, it was, no, really, I, I, it was, it was ridiculous. Yeah, no, I, to- I totally agree. And it, it strikes me that one of the kind of, perhaps the kind of strategies that's going on here is by, by saying it's a national issue. Yeah. The kind of the Indian state is, is simultaneously like reinforcing. Yeah. Reinforcing its, yeah. And reinforcing its claim as well on Kashmir. Exactly. And at the same time, stripping away any sense of it being a colonial struggle, right? Or an anti-colonial struggle for the people of Kashmir, because it sits there and says, well, actually, you know what, this is ours and it's ours to deal with. Yeah, exactly. Um, No one else needs to get involved, but but at the same time, it's imposing, it's stripping away the ability for Kashmiri people to produce their own narratives, Mm -hmm. strips away the right for them to communicate full stop and utterly turns the entire state into a prison, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, not 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 even counting yeah. the levels of occupation that have been going on for so long, and so th- this 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 attempt to kind of treat it as a national issue and simultaneously strip it of any yeah. kind of colonial issue, supported by the newspapers, exactly. is like really really significant. It's fascinating stuff. It really is. Um, but I yeah. must say, we're going to have to kind of call an end to it there. I think oh, sure, we're coming sure. up on our time. Um, oh, do you have anything well. else you'd like to add? Nothing. I think like the only thing that would be. Um, uh, really important to say would be that you know the central newspaper right now, uh, which you know which was you know really factually reporting and you know was saying oh you know it's all fine it's national national security everything's going to be fine and you know they weren't you know reporting as vigorously as they probably should have been uh, is also a paper who is who does regularly run advertisements from the the government part government like in the party in you know party in power in yeah. power sorry <laughs> the party in power. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it was just, it's, I mean, that's, I think like the only other, uh, thing I, I would like to say because. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, there's, there's collusion there, right? Yeah. If yeah. There's the collusion. Someone's paying the bills then, yeah, then, yeah. then and you're going to give them favorable coverage. Yeah. Right? And it's, it's really bizarre that, you know, something that's so, so important and so, um, you know, life changing to a lot of people, you would just, you know, give away to advertising, to advertisements like that. It's just, it, yeah, you know, it's against anything that's, you know, journalistic, but yeah, that's really about it. I think. And that's excellent, Sahar. Thank you so much. No um, it, just before we go, is there anywhere that people, that, anywhere that listeners can find you online? Have you got any social media that we can find you um, on? Yeah. Uh, should I just mail it? Should I just mail my um, 
social media stuff to you or do i just tell them yeah that's fine yeah that's fine i mean we can can put the words up on the show notes thank you so much no problem at all all right so thank you for joining us thank Um, you so much for having me my pleasure for those of you who are interested in finding out more about the uh, state violence research network we have a couple of online places you can find us uh you can find our website at stateviolenceresearchnetwork.co.uk uh you can also if you want to become a member of the state violence research network you just use that web address uh with forward slash membership on the end uh membership to the svrn is free and always will be we are committed to keeping things open and accessible for all members um, you can find us on Twitter at State Violence RN. Um, our 2020 conference is coming up, which is being held in Manchester between the 8th and 10th of April 2020. Unfortunately, the call for papers is now closed, but you can still come and attend. We've got some excellent speakers and events happening and we'd love to have you with us. The SVRN is also run as a kind of mutual aid project. So none of the people that run it uh, help facilitate it or, or, or take part in our events are paid. Um, as a result, we are always looking for um, new sources of financial support. And if you would like to support the SVRN financially, then you can find us, uh, you can become a patron on Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash state violence research network. Um, so that's it for me for this episode. Thank you for joining us. Uh, my name's George and I will be back with you with a new SVRN podcast episode soon.